Are you ready to learn? Because my super experienced guests are ready to share some really valuable information. Make sure and listen all the way to the end to get help and support. So let's start with the best audio experience. I always tell my customers, forget about Google, forget about search agents and think more about human being. But sometimes we need to help them. We need to help Google to understand our content. That's why today we discuss about schema structured data. And I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Jona Anderson. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. What a great intro. Super exciting. Yeah, big pleasure. I know about your experience, especially about Yoast. I think everyone knows about this tool. So uh, my team, uh, I think all my uh, content managers use uh, every single day Yoast. It's awesome tool. Yeah, it's a big Amazing. pleasure to have it, you know, to optimize websites. Before we start, just tell more about yourself, experience, background, and why you decided to share with us about Skiba. Sure. So um, I guess once upon a time, I was um, a bedroom web developer way back before I even had heard of SEO. Um, and I got really fascinated by things like um, title tags and alt attributes and trying to work out if I'm building websites for people, what, what should the title attribute of this thing be? What should the meta description be? And there weren't any rules. There were a lot of opinions and a lot of people testing. And to me, that was fascinating. It was a completely green field. So I started playing and tinkering. And before I knew it, I was kind of chasing perfection in what I, what turned out to be technical SEO. And then a whole bunch of kind of lucky accidents and being in the right place at the right time. I ended up working in SEO agencies for a bunch of tool vendors and platforms, um, all sorts of different places. And throughout all of that have remained fascinated about technical SEO, but also had to learn about marketing and about people and about businesses and products and all of that stuff. And I think where those two very different areas come together really interestingly is in schema and structured data right you said just now so much of so much of the right thing that we say is market to people and tell stories and narratives but also yeah can you also need to do the bit with the machines and those are blurring and that's the bit that fascinates yeah. me like there's such a gray area between them so yeah it's really cool yeah, interesting. Yeah, love it. Okay, let's talk about schema. Uh, can you tell uh, for someone who is not familiar what schema means and uh, how to set up it? Uh, any basic information about schema? Yeah, sure. So, um, so it's really poorly named for a start. So, schema. The word schema just means like a, a way of describing things. Like you can have a schema of animals, and you can say these ones have four legs and these ones have two, and that's a schema. Not helpful. You also then have schema.org which is the website which describes the schema.org standard, which I guess is the thing we're most interested in. So this was created in 2011 by Google, Yahoo, Yandex, a couple of others yeah. who've been and gone really, it's mostly Google now. And the idea was um, the web and Google and search results are trying to evolve and they're trying to do much more than just have meta tags and canonical URLs and say, this page is about cats and this is about dogs. They wanna do more sophisticated stuff. They wanna say, this page has lots of rich media and interactive widgets and stuff. To do that, they need a better understanding of content. And to get that better understanding, they really need a kind of standardized way of extracting that. So schema.org was really an attempt to say, if my web page is about a business that sells products that have prices and I've got opening hours and addresses, how do we how do we get every website to describe that in the same way so that we can predictably call it, scrape it, extract it, and then use it to do whatever we want. And for Google, that means things like calorie counts for recipes and rich results. 
in Bing, it means things like opening hours um, in rich results directly in the search hours, in search search hours, search results. Um, and this manifests mm -hmm. in loads of different ways, but the core idea is, and also beyond just Google and search engines, the core idea is, can we describe our content in a way that machines and systems can predictably understand and then use to do stuff? So if tomorrow I wanted to say, I want to build a search engine that finds all of the Japanese restaurants that are located within 20 minutes of my house that have opening hours on Thursday that are a certain price, that sell a certain dish, I don't have to have all of the firepower of Google to be able to procedurally understand all of the content on the web. I don't need to call, I don't need to go. I can just go and find that and extract it in a predictable format, and that changes the world. And this actually is a huge part of... Um, Kind of Tim Berners-Lee's, Tim Berners-Lee's original vision for the web, right, was connected data and it being a rich living database. We've never really got there, and the whole Web three thing feels a bit distracted. But this is this is the cool bit. I think this is where we turn web pages into databases that can talk to each other. Nice, nice, valuable. Uh, okay, let's talk about uh, how to set up a schema today. Because you know um, uh, the reason why I'm asking about that because we can uh, use automation just to use uh, plugins, uh, tools, or uh, we can edit something manually. Can you tell how to find the balance between automation and manual job that it's better to fix something manually to analyze uh, how it works? Sure. So I'm I'm massively biased on this because I've spent three years of my life working on this at Yoast. So and, and we do a terrible job of talking about this and marketing it. So behind behind the scenes, one of the smartest things that Yoast SEO does that I think is at a level beyond anyone else in the SEO industry is automatically handles most of the foundation of your schema for you. So and I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment. One of the one of the things that people get wrong with schema is they see something fancy in the search results. They see a rich result for a product with reviews and star ratings and stock status, and they go, I want that. So they go to Google's documentation, which has a whole bunch of stuff around what are the what are the available formats and what how might that look and how might it work? And they copy and paste a bunch of code and they tweak it a bit and they put their brand in and they put their prices in. And they immediately start making mistakes and things go wrong because if the product goes out of stock, your scheme is now incorrect. And not only is that going to contravene Google's guidelines, it's also potentially illegal, depending on which states you're in, on misrepresenting pricing availability and things. So that breaks. You also then go, actually, most pages aren't just a thing. This is a web page that contains an article about a product. And that's quite a complex relationship. And if you're copy pasting mm -hmm. and tweaking bits of code, it's quite hard to get right. There's quite a lot of nuance to that. And again, stuff breaks and changes. So that's difficult. Um, and then also, yeah, people don't really understand the nuance and the depth that you really want to go in with those relationships. So a lot of that, when you start to do it manually from scratch, you end up encountering a lot of problems. So yeah, again, what I've what I've spent a lot of time, a huge amount of time doing, mm -hmm. is kind of defining a foundation for that. Now I should I should caveat, if you're not using WordPress and US SEO, that's fine. Um, I'm really sorry, but that's fine. Um, we have all of the standards that we worked out, we've documented and open sourced. So you can go and roll your own solution based on ours and kind of find the right way to do it without necessarily being a Yoast user. I think that's pretty cool. Um, that's all on developer.yoast.com. But the principle is that for any page you have on a website, there's probably a bunch of stuff going on. Like that page probably has an author. It was probably published by an organization. That organization probably has an address. That organization probably employs the author who wrote the web page. 
And then that web page is about a product that has a price and yada, yada, yada. And that product is retailed by the organization who published the web page. Mm -hmm. uh, and you start to see what's happening here is we're at the, the powerful bit that's interesting is we're describing the relationships between the things. So, and, and yeah, to, again, to, to do that manually from scratch is really, really hard because there's lots of nuance there. So you need a strong foundation to do that. And we've got a standard approach that goes, what are the relationships between these? What's the easiest technical way to describe those? And you can build on that. Now, that only does generic stuff because we, we mm -hmm. can't predict whose website has what content and what they're trying to describe. So it only does the basics. You definitely want to build on top of that and alter it. So we've also got a standard for modifying that and extending it, which is pretty cool. Um, if you're on WordPress, you can use PHP to do that based on our APIs. If you're rolling your own solution, you can use the thinking behind it to go, okay, now this page also has, I don't know, the organization also has opened a new location or we now we want to extend and add another headquarters or new office. We can just add that on, add that on, add that on and define those relationships. Super easy. Uh, anyone with a kind of reasonably rudimentary level of PHP understanding can go and build on this, which I know rules out a lot of people, but it's not as scary as it sounds. Um, yeah. It's definitely a much more robust way than doing it kind of like from scratch and copy pasting code. I know a whole bunch of people will use things like Google Tag Manager and mm -hmm. like bits of JavaScript to go, I'm going to try and work around my limitations of my CMS to paste this in. It just breaks so easily. It becomes so brittle. And a lot of people who are doing that also might not have considered that whilst Google can reconcile um, schema and JavaScript and can even kind of marry it to the stuff on, that's on the page, they're pretty much the only people who can. And Bing also consumes schema, Instagram, LinkedIn, Pinterest, Twitter, Outlook, WhatsApp, Slack, all sorts of systems use this. But also many more might or could or would if we weren't so Google-centric, if we built our schema in a way that was more open and more open source and more collaborative and less reliant on Google, we might create a better world. So the hacks are quite handy for getting your rich results, but there's a much bigger picture that I think is much more important. Yeah, love it, nice. love it, love it. So valuable. Okay, you mentioned about a different type of uh, content. Yeah, like product pages, uh, probably local SEO. Uh, uh, can you tell how to uh, analyze that schema works well, uh, that everything is fine? Uh, and uh, because, you know, it takes time on Google to rank uh, content uh, and yeah. you can't check out how it works on Google. But uh, how to validate before uh, when we did the job and uh, to validate it? Sure. So this is um, annoyingly, there are three steps to this answer, which is far more work than there should be. Mm -hmm. One is um, use the official schema validator, which is at validator.schema.org, which used to be the, um, I can't remember what it was called, the rich results test. Um, yeah, use that to check that your code is valid. So that will be mm -hmm. really good for flagging things like you have missed a semicolon, which if you're writing this from scratch will happen all the time and it'll go, nope, that comma is going to break everything. <laughs> and it's super sensitive. So that will validate that your code's right. Then use Google's rich results test, which will say for this schema, which we know is valid, which types of rich results are you eligible for? And it will say, great, we've scanned it. You can have a recipe and a guided how-to and a logo. And oh, and we've also spotted some warnings and problems with your recipe. And 
they're not great at labeling these. Some of their errors and warnings are like recommendations or things that are nice to have or things that don't even make sense. But you can go through those and you can say, okay, I can, I've missed some bits. I can add some bits in, or this doesn't really make sense. It's fine. Um, it's worth putting a bit of effort in to say if there are gaps, try and fill them because that's going to give you more chance of getting rich results, etc. Um, so it's worth doing the effort. Then, then the third bit that nobody does that is the most important is go to classyschema.org slash visualization and paste your schema in there and it will give you a graph representation, a visual representation of all of the relationships between the things on your page and that will show you what you haven't thought of. So, that, And there's a whole, a whole new level of thinking here. So things like I said earlier, um, the author of your article is probably an employee of the publisher of the content you will spot that those relationships are missing and that they could exist. So you'll get a nice representation of all the nodes and all the relationships and you can go, ah, oh, actually, this thing should probably also be connected to that thing in a way that's quite hard to see and recognize and, and understand that narrative or otherwise. So that's a really nice. It also does some validation stuff, but what it's really powerful for is seeing the relationships between those entities in a way that no other tool really does. And then saying, okay, I, I can see other opportunities to, to connect things and tell stories. So yeah, three very tedious, very manual, labor-intensive steps, I'm afraid, but worth it. Really, if you want to make sure that you're controlling that narrative and telling that story, it's worth doing all three. Yeah, interesting, valuable. Uh, I'm curious about your camera. Can you tell why it's moving all the time, you know? Because oh, yeah, I, I love that. It's really annoying. Uh, no, 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 it's not down. annoying. No, 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 it's not annoying. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, I spoke with many people, but I didn't see anything. <laughs> I'm talking like my this. hands quite a lot, so it goes over here. Uh, no, it's a piece of software uh, called XSplit that um, runs as a virtual camera, and it does the background depth of field as well, so I can go in and play with that. But yeah, it tries to, tries to be a uh -huh. bit helpful, but it's not always. Yeah, I wave a lot, so it, it gets a bit confused. Uh, no, 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 that, that's okay. Yeah, I like how it's moving because, you know, but uh, I, I've never seen something like this, you know, <laughs> during yeah, it's, my it's podcast. It's the first time. Yeah, but, but I think it's a good thing, you know, because sometimes we need to retain audience longer. And if you stay in one place, it's not a good <laughs> idea. Yeah, it's better yeah. to move like this, like this, you know. Yeah. So, and if you have this camera, yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, I asked my audience uh, about uh, the topic schema and uh, they started to ask me questions about Yoast. Please ask him about Yoast more. Uh, <laughs> can you tell about uh, benefits of Yoast because uh, compared to similar plugins that we have, I, I don't want to mention them. I think everyone knows about them. Uh, but can you tell about benefits Yoast that have compared to competitors? Yeah, so I will I will address the elephant in the room. I think for a long time, Yoast was universally considered to be the biggest and the best SEO plugin. And in recent times, we have competitors and they're doing different things to us and they are politely, I say, attacking us in many cases. I think um, I would suggest that anybody comparing plugins goes and does a bit of research. And you might, for example, open up the GitHub, the GitHub repository of several of them and search for the word Yoast and see how many times our source code appears in their code. Um, it is more than a few. Um, mm -hmm. And then also, um, for example, go and look at their home pages and their product pages on their websites and see how their own SEO is and look at, um, run, run, for example, their product pages through Classy Schema and evaluate how rich and sensible the relationships between their schema entities and their descriptions are and then compare it to ours and i think the thing you'll see consistently across those is the thing that really makes a difference between yo seo and the others 
is we really truly understand what we're doing. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, there are many things that make the difference, but that's one of the big ones is things like schema, when you get beyond the surface level, are incredibly in-depth, are incredibly complicated. There's a huge amount of nuance. We work directly with Google and a whole bunch of their teams to try and work out how to implement that in the real world. And then a bunch of other SEO plugins copy paste and mess up and don't understand our code and then say, we're faster, we're better, we're cheaper. It's really frustrating. Um, but it's one of the <laughs> one of the kind of unfortunate side effects of working in open source. Like we believe in SEO for everyone. We're doing work that benefits the whole web. They can, they are allowed to just go take and modify our code. It's just a bit unpleasant that they also say those guys suck when they're building on our work. So that's one thing. Um, I guess the other is um, we are we're doing stuff that's important and stuff that's meaningful that actually helps you with your SEO. So many other tools will give you fancy dashboards and widgets and try and tell you what you should do and automate your content output and use AI and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, we refrain from doing that because generally we think that's not the right way to do SEO. I think 10 years ago, five years ago, you might have got away with that, but really the thing that differentiates you from your competitors, the thing that makes you rank first rather than second, is having a better website. And often that comes down to having put the work in, like genuinely having a better proposition and better content and solving the user's problems and answering their questions better. There are only so many tools and widgets and charts we can give you that say, go make this web page better. And this it's a distraction. And there is a whole industry built, certainly around agencies and consultants, there is a whole industry built around having lots of bells and whistles and toggles, going in and clicking things thinking that you're being productive or convincing your clients that you've been productive and charging them a whole bunch of money, while really maybe what you ought to have been doing is just making your content better. So we think mm -hmm. we focus on the stuff that's most important. Um, we, we, we make decisions on behalf of the user. So we don't have any controls on XML sitemaps, for example, because they work perfectly and we know exactly how they should work. And we talk to Google and Bing uh, others all the time about exactly how that should work. Other tools will give you 30 toggles do you want it in red? Do you want it in blue? Do you want it upside down? How do you want to sort it? What do you want to... None of that, because you don't mm -hmm. need it. And it's a massive distraction. And there will always be a subset of the SEO industry who believe that they know better, who believe that they're experts, who will who will want to go and click the things and sort it in ascending rather than descending. Makes no difference in the real world. But actually also, the other frustration... Sorry, I'm ranting, but there's like... Yeah, so frustrating. Yeah. The, the, the other thing they can do is we actually do offer a huge amount of tools to do that kind of customization in PHP because we don't want to overload all of our normal users who are perfectly sensible and happy with a thousand toggles. But there are, there are use cases for some of these types of things, and there are expert users. You can go write three lines of code in your WordPress theme or in a standalone plugin that makes those alterations. And actually, these experts, if there are experts, would be able to do that quite comfortably. But they're really scared of code, and it turns out all they want to do is click some buttons and charge their clients. So yeah, I, I think a lot, of, a lot of our users trust us because we know what we're doing, and there isn't any of that kind of deceptive, tactical, snake oil nonsense. So, um, yeah, what we're doing, I think, is meaningful and right and valuable. And um, it's frustrating that other people copy it and do it badly. Yes, love it, love it. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I, I love uh, Yoast. It's a great tool. Um, and uh, uh, But that's okay, you know, when you have com competitors. Uh, I think, uh, yeah, it motivates, encourages to create much better products. So improve yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, so, okay. I have the question about, uh, can you tell... Um, you know, how to find the balance between uh, manual job and uh, used recommendations. For example, um, um, 
I have editors who can edit uh, text uh, for my website pages. And, you know, uh, when Grammarly provides insights, you need to fix uh, this, 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 uh, uh, like uh, 80 uh, corrections. Uh, I, I found that great editors usually uh, fix 40 uh, of them uh, and 40 uh, they leave it or uh, uh, rewrite in their ways so grammarly still shows a lot of errors but uh, after uh, proofreading we get these results much better content so uh, and i see something like this with yoast no yoast can recommend uh, fix this 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 one but sometimes it's not the case sometimes we don't need it can you tell how to feel uh, this balance you know uh, <laughs> of course of course it's better to have experience to understand how things work but uh, in the end nobody knows <laughs> which one is better yeah so, uh, from your experience how to do it yeah that's it's a tricky question we get so many people who turn to twitter and say i hate your screen bullets like how dare you yoast tell us that oh, my, my, i'm using passive voice too much i guess we don't know we have um we have a set of tools that try and make sensible default suggestions for everybody across the web but everybody's site is different everybody's writing is different and ultimately i think the best advice is trust your expertise in your audience yeah. in your sector in your problem area but but do so a lot of the negative feedback we get is Yoast is making me dumb down my content. I think that's not the thing. I think we try and make you open it up because if you're doing SEO, part of your objective is reach and engage as broad an engaged audience as possible. And if you're writing sentences that are too long or you're using complicated wording or you're not structuring your content, that's going to be harder. And yes, you might have a very intelligent audience. You might be writing about technical topics, but the more you narrow that in to just that audience, the more people are never going to read your content. They're never going to link to you. They're never going to share your stuff. They're never going to comment on, et cetera, et cetera. So mm -hmm. definitely use some common sense. Use use the, the feedback as like guidelines and recommendations, but never, ever, ever just chase 100% scores for the sake of like ticking the boxes. Um, it's not what it's for. It's not what it does. It's not how it works. The idea is we can spot things that could be improved. And also at some point, you're going to hit diminishing returns. Like if you're already doing quite well and you've got finite resources, probably doesn't make sense to aim for perfection on one blog post that only 100 people are ever going to see. So use some common sense there as well in terms of how much is it really worth chasing this? Is it worth me investing hours and hours and rewriting this sentence over and over and over and over again? Yeah, Maybe not. Um, so yeah, uh, yeah. Use, use it as a framework for common sense the rest. Yeah, yeah, love it. Yeah, I remember when uh, Gram uh, Grammarly and Hemingway app usually uh, highlights passive voice. Don't use passive voice. Yeah, okay, I, I can avoid many times passive voice, but sometimes we need it, you know. So, uh, yep. it, it, it doesn't mean that passive voice is bad. Yeah, sometimes we need to highlight the subject, uh, another subject. So why not? Yeah, we can use them. Yeah, love it. Uh, yeah, for sure. uh, I have the question about uh, common mistakes from your experience Ooh. what uh, webmasters common mistakes usually do uh, by setting uh, schema uh, the port oh interesting um so um i guess outside of the yoast context there's a few things that happen one is um people just don't go read and understand the guidelines well enough so, and, and that's tricky because schema.org has its own standards and guidelines and requirements and then google's documentation has a layer on top of that and they don't always quite match um so people get lost that's fair um but there are there are silly mistakes that people make all this all the time like um they will put product information on product listing pages as opposed to product detail page like a category or a tag where i've got 10 products 
You don't want to be putting product information on that because that's not where your product lives. Your product lives on the product page. People do that all the time. Um, they also, <laughs> Google's Google's team don't help. There's a, a famous quote from John Mueller where he says, um, you should only put organization schema on your about page or content page, which is completely wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but everybody listens to it and they believe it and they repeat it because, okay, so go back to my earlier example. I want to describe my recipe is authored by Jono, who works for Yoast on a web page published by Yoast. I've already mentioned the organization twice. Like, and I want to describe what that organization is because I want to build a page that has schema that helps Google understand the context, helps them trust it and understand it. Um, I've got to describe the organization. I've got to say, this is the same Yoast that does this thing, that's the same as over here, that has this Wikipedia entry, that has this many employees, that has these opening hours. If I only do that on my about page, how do I describe my recipe? Because you're missing a key part of the chain. So people think about, this is the biggest problem I see with schema and the biggest thing people misunderstand is they see it as little chunks. They think about it the same way they think as meta tags and canonical URLs and hreflang. They go, I'm going to paste a bit of code in. And actually what they need to be doing is describing all the relationships between all the entities that exist on that page. And people, people miss that entirely. So they go, I will paste in some product schema and I will paste in some breadcrumb schema. But they don't describe that the product is on a web page that's about the product that has a breadcrumb schema. So they end up with bits and those bits don't reconcile and they're, they're all sorts of errors and mistakes. So that's frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. But then, yeah, aside from that, um, I guess people just trying to, trying to do too much and trying to manipulate it. So... Um, Things like you are no longer allowed to have reviews of an organization that are you. you can't publish reviews of your organization on your website and get star ratings with schema. But people do all the time, or they say, "Oh, this this is this thing's a product and it's not really; it's a service and it's always." They try and manipulate, they try and stretch it, and they get caught out eventually. Um, so yeah, I would, I, and it, I really want people to think about it the other way around. So you go. Okay, what is this web page? What's on it? What's it describing? And of that, what aligns to schema? And if you zoom out even further, you go, we know, for example, Google is really doubling down on authoritativeness and trust and expertise, the whole EAT thing. You go, okay, if I really want to make this page trustworthy, I need to describe which university my author went to to validate that they know about the chocolate pudding that this recipe is about. And then you go, okay, we have to have it on that page. And suddenly the way you're thinking about schema all becomes part of your content strategy and how you prove your quality and all this sort of stuff. It's a much better way than thinking, what markup can I paste to get some rich results? Mm -hmm. Yeah, awesome. Love it, love it. Uh, what about Yoast? Can you tell uh, about common mistakes in Yoast that uh, webmasters uh, still do from your experience? Yeah, so the biggest one, I think, is um, not managing tag and category pages. So mm -hmm. um, tags, the fact that both of those things exist in WordPress is pretty annoying. They're very similar, but I guess like categories are meant to be like vertical segmentations of your content and tags are like connect all the things. But we see so many cases where a, a website might have 100 blog posts and 1,000 tags because every one of those posts has been tagged with 10 different things. Most of those tags only have one thing in. They all return the same post. I think the thing that people forget to think about is Google doesn't really care about the distinction, whether it's a page or a post or a tag or a category or, or page six of an archive of recipes. These are just URLs with content. And mm -hmm. it will try and do some smart stuff to reconcile that. But really, at the end of the day, a page is a page is a page is a page. So if you have hundreds of duplicate, thin, not very useful tag pages that are just kind of bad ways of categorizing the same blog posts and articles, they're not really mm -hmm. useful for users. 
So I think, yeah, one of the first things I always see when I'm always looking at sites and auditing them is people really need to consolidate those down. But then also the specific component is um, there's a whole bunch of tools in our search appearance menu where you can say um, what types of content do you and don't you want to be indexed and therefore also not in your XML sitemap and not have it yada yada. People forget to turn things off. So mm -hmm. they'll be running a plugin that does things like um, we want to add events. Um, and suddenly um, you've got a thousand events pages that maybe individually aren't very valuable, or you've got, oh, I've seen this in the wild. I've seen plugins that add a custom post type for invoices. Um, mm -hmm. And then all of your invoices are in Google because you've not said, maybe don't go and manage this. So really <laughs> going through and looking at every single page and every single type of page, should this be in Google? Is it useful? Can it be consolidated? How do I manage this at scale? And really having that kind of granular eye for detail is really important. So many people just install an SEO plugin and think I'm done. Um, and mm -hmm. really, you need to be micromanaging more than that. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, okay, uh, you know, uh, I have a lot of webmasters who just start their journey. And, you know, uh, they usually ask me, is it a good idea to pay for a paid version of yours or it's better uh, or it's enough to have free version can you tell the benefits of using paid version because you know uh, someone who um, usually starts the, they have no money you know they have lack of budget so uh, yeah I, I think it's it's okay you know when you have no money you have you have two hands it's enough you know sometimes uh, I, I started many projects with just two my hands you know uh, can <laughs> you tell about it. yeah <laughs> So, for example, uh, what kind of benefits people can get by using paid version compared to free version? And if uh, someone has no money, uh, uh, yeah, is, is it enough to have just free version? Sure. So um, I guess the short answer is yes. Um, we, we have a principle that all of the features and tools and settings that you need in order to be able to get into Google and have a level playing field to compete are in the free version. Um, all the technical stuff happens automatically. Most of the content analysis stuff is in free. Most of the tools and toys and widgets are in free. The difference is, and, and that will that will mean you're not losing out. The difference and the step up for premium is a few things. One is um, access to the support team, which uh, is uh, who are who are genuinely phenomenal experts. And given that every site is different and has different challenges and different config, that's really useful. They get very hands on. Two is it does unlock a bunch of new features. So um, more sophisticated content analysis, um, more sophisticated recommendations that will give you more nuance than Grammarly and Hemingway and other stuff that will really help you craft content um, and, and also kind of craft the overall site architecture. So that's really cool. Um, and then the other thing is, um, oh, two other things, I guess. Um, one is you get access to our workouts, which are like guided step-by-step -step processes for configuring your site and managing it and optimizing it over time in a way that's a bit less scary than having to go through the settings and understand what they mean, um, which is really nice. But then most importantly, I think, is you get access to all the new features first. So we have a kind of standard policy that if we're launching something new and awesome and impressive, it goes into premium first. Some, mm -hmm. some stuff may never end up in free, but there's gen generally kind of a trickle-down process over time. But if you want to have competitive advantages and get access to toys that save you time and unlock new capabilities, a lot of this is about time and efficiency. If you really want to actively compete, um, you want to do that more more quickly and more effectively. It's not going to automate stuff, but it is going to shortcut things and, and make some of that easier. Um, so yeah, a lot of that happens in free before. It, so a lot of that happens in premium before it happens in free. So it's about getting a kind of active um, active advantage over competitors. Nice, nice, love it. Okay, guys, if you have no money, you can use free version. Uh, but yeah, definitely. If you, have, 
Yeah, if you have money, it's better, of course, to pay because I love pay tools. I I get a lot more by using pay tools, but that's okay if you have no money. So you can start with free version. Yeah, it works well. Uh, yeah. I have the question. Uh, let's imagine you have no experience. You started from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. What will you do today to learn more about SEO? Oh, I'm going to cheat and say you should go sign up for Yoast SEO Academy, which is a thing we have, which has a whole bunch of free courses, mm -hmm. but then also paid courses for um, specific subject areas like technical SEO or international. Um, so that's a thing. Um, but also play. Like um, It is very cheap and very easy to spin up a WordPress site to install your favorite SEO plugin and to experiment, to do a bit of research. All of the all of the marketplace tools like SEMrush, like Moz, have freemium models where you can go do a little bit of keyword research, have a little bit of a look at where there might be opportunities, what audiences are doing, build something, put some analytics on it, put Google Search Console together and start experimenting and learning. Um, I think increasingly, increasingly the complexities of technical SEO and that side of optimization are going away. We're solving a lot of that. Um, so you have to worry less and less about things like XML sitemaps and, and, and schema and that sort of nuance. Really, you want to be focusing on what am I passionate about? Where do I have expertise? What yeah. content can I craft that solves the problems of users in that space? And just do it and write and write, produce and produce um, and find things that are going to resonate and, and get in the space. But yeah, create, I think it's probably the easiest way and then experiment from there. Yeah, love it, love it. Yeah, I think you know, uh, doing is much uh, is is more important than uh, just learning. You know, you can learn from great resources like uh, SEO courses, Moz, uh, Yoast, uh, from my podcast. But if you do nothing, you know, <laughs> it doesn't provide any results. For me, it's more important <laughs> to <Yeah>. do. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, I can learn like twenty percent of my time, and eighty percent of time uh, I'm doing so. Over learning doesn't bring any results. It's like to read a hundred books, how to play soccer. If you don't play, I don't know how you can be a good <laughs> soccer player. You need to play. Yep. You know, it's the same with any niche: basketball. Name them. You know, yeah, uh, it's better to do. Okay, I have the question oh, yeah. about the future. Can you Ooh. forecast uh, the future of ACO? Because many things are coming, like metaverse. Uh, what do you think? What kind of future will be? Because we still have the question that ACO is that. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I love this. Um, I think a lot about this. Um, I think the, the big short-term trend, I say short-term, in kind of Google's perspective, the last couple of years and the next few years, we're on a journey where it is so cliche to say this, but search is no longer Tembly links. I don't type words into Google and get a list of results that I have to then pick from. Where Google are trying to get to and the words they use um, around this, they're trying to solve for people's journeys. And um, what's nice about this is lots of it is powered by schema. So when you search for stuff, increasing chunks of the search results are tools, cards, interactive widgets, problem-solving things, stuff that will suggest, stuff that will remember, um, things that manage your journeys. Like search is so often a problem-solving journey. And increasingly those problems are being solved directly in the search results. And we're seeing, um, like certainly for e-commerce at the sharp end, but also for other areas increasingly, seeing those entire journeys play out in the search results. So you can Google a product type, you can get recommendations. On, and Google product type, I know nothing about. I know nothing about dishwashers. 
But mm -hmm. if I want a new one, if I want to buy one, I can Google the problem space. Google will guide me through understanding, okay, there are three different types and they typically come with these kinds of dimensions and categories. Handhold me through reducing my search down to find the right type. Show me the best one that's not necessarily just the cheapest, but also available next working day delivery, has a good reputation, aligns with my personal ethics, whatever, 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 all powered by schema. And I can buy directly in the search results. And this is a huge trend because we've all built business models based on ranking and getting clicks, and that doesn't exist anymore. And the SEO debt is dead thing is interesting because we don't, as an industry, have a really good answer for how the commercial models for that should work, how the incentive to publish works. But the reality we live in is one where Google is trying to solve the problems of Google's users in Google. And there is an SEO component to this. You still want to be visible. You still want to be building a brand impression. You still want to be influencing people, but maybe not to convert them. Maybe to build positive brand associations, maybe to build um, brand preference and recall, kind of much more like traditional PR. Um, and that's super scary because that's not the way this industry has worked until now. Um, yeah. But increasingly, that looks like it's the direction we're going. So I think that's that's the next big thing to happen. Then beyond that, who knows? Um, I was at a really good conference two weeks ago at SMX Advanced in Berlin. And there was a really good talk from Tom Anthony about um, the future of synthesized search. And he's saying the other big trend we have, obviously, is AI with um, uh, GPT-3 and Stable Diffusion and um, all the others. What happens in a world where um, Google just produces the search results based on all the stuff it knows and all the stuff it's crawled and all the stuff it's consumed? What if it answers questions without ever having to ever having to send you to a website, ever having to source content from a website, um, it's a kind of extension of the same problem. What, 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 what is the role of the website then? And I think increasingly, hey, back to the beginning, the role of the website is to be a database of schema. And that our web pages aren't just marketing pamphlets that are designed to convince humans that we're a good fit. They are databases of our product information, our reputation, our connections, our value propositions, which systems can read and then extract and then do stuff with. And yeah, and the worst case of that is they just take our content and they show it in the search results and our businesses crumble. The best version is we open up new possibilities and new marketing models and new commercial models that SEO still has a role in, but who knows what it is. Yeah, yeah, valuable. Uh, I have the final question because you mentioned about AI. I can't avoid this question. I, I see the, yeah, I see the last time, you know, uh, many tools, great tools like SEMrush, uh, many others, they uh, implement AI in their features. Uh, what about yours? Do you have such uh, features with AI or probably you are working with that or you implement it or you have the goal? Can you tell more about yours and AI? Yep. So we, we've explored this space a lot and we're continuing to. We've dabbled with a few partnerships, but we're not quite there yet. I think mm -hmm. there are there are two types of tools that I see. Um, one, one category aims to replace your entire editorial workflow. They go, we're going to analyze all the keywords. We're going to find all the opportunities. We're going to assess the competitors. We're going to produce a content brief. We're going to structure content with certain headings and certain content. We're going to spit it out and then you're going to publish it. I've been really unimpressed by that whole category. I think unless you really granularly control the inputs, then the output you get is rubbish. And if you're already going to that effort to control those inputs to that level, you may as well have that person just also write the words. Uh, the, the, the difference is, is, is pretty minimal. Where I think there's more interesting opportunity is the tools which just do snippets and short form content with context. So there is definitely a space for things like... Um, 
summarize this article and write me a meta description or um, create me um, a pros and cons list of this product or rewrite this manufacturer description. That sort of stuff can be really good, except, and this is where the problem comes in, um, one of the big things Yoast SEO does is all of the readability and SEO analysis check marks, which you mentioned earlier. We said, is this paragraph too long? Are these words too confusing, etc.? If you say to an AI tool, generate me a paragraph or even generate me a replacement of this paragraph or rewrite this thing, it's going to come back with 10 responses and all 10 of those are going to fail different of our analysis. This one's going to be too long. This one's going to have too many syllables. This one's going to use passive language. So you go, okay, throw them all away, generate me another 10. Okay, these ones all fail. You've now burnt 20 credits. And the, system, mm -hmm. the, the way these AI systems work is they can't learn from their previous responses because it's all done in, in isolation. And you can't feed it requirements that are that complex. You can't say, meet this criteria and this criteria and this criteria, and it's not reliably at <laughs> least. So it's super expensive to generate stuff that's good. You can generate, you can generate stuff that's okay, trivially but you're just going to be moving problems so you're going to this you we're going to say in yoast this paragraph's too long click a button to automatically generate a shorter one and now it's going to be full of complicated words and the the, yeah. the commercial models around that are quite difficult and the the what there's one solution we could do we could offload that to an external service and we could run something in the cloud that does all that and generates you a thousand responses until it gets one and you go great we've got the perfect one except um we're bound by WordPress's guidelines to um, not that it's really kind of against the rules to do that kind of phoning home in WordPress unless you get explicit permission, but also ethically and morally and for privacy reasons, we don't do any of that phoning home in Yoast. And it's one of the things that sets us apart from Grammarly. Um, if you're using Grammarly, everything you write and every interaction you have with it goes back to Grammarly HQ somewhere in ethereal American cloud somewhere, which is super scary from a privacy perspective. Yeah. All the Yoast stuff happens directly in your browser. Um, yeah, which makes kind of doing scaled AI stuff really hard because you need a corpus to work with, you need an engine. So yeah, we're still exploring. I definitely think there is room for um, summarize this thing and rewrite this paragraph, but the nature of the thing makes it hard. Yeah, yeah, valuable. Yeah, love it. Uh, because in, uh, I use AI tools in my practice, but I check out. I edit uh, all the results because oh, yeah, it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> results. Awesome results. Yeah, you can get mediocre results. Uh, as you mentioned, okay, okay. Uh, let's. Uh, but uh, you can't get uh, the best results. I mean, like uh, high quality. So it's better to edit. But AI definitely can help to save time. You know? So yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Streamline those workflows. And also things like um, where do I start is a really hard question to answer with blog posts and stuff. Just getting something on a canvas. And even if you edit it and rewrite it completely, that can be really useful so yeah there's definitely yeah. a place for this totally yeah you can get the structure and yeah yeah it saves time uh it's a big pleasure to get on my show to learn from you tell our audience how can they reach out to you learn more about you follow you oh nice uh, so um i'm all over twitter um especially when i'm annoyed about things i'm at john alderson um, or you can go to johnoalderson.com or yoast.com, or you can email me at johnno at yoast.com or just Google me. Hopefully I've done enough good, a good enough job um, that I'll um, show up there. If you want to really nerd out, um, go to my website and look at the schema on it through classyschema.org and see how far you can take this kind of madness when you've got too much time and too much of an interest in um, joining up all the dots in ways that Google probably won't even understand. 
Um, yeah. And also, thank, thanks to you. This has been great. Thank you for the chance to rant. Like, it's so nice to be able to to say how evil all of our competitors are um, in a way that um, I usually don't get to. So this is great. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Guys, you need to follow John Alderson uh, on Twitter, on LinkedIn, everywhere. I'll submit all links. Uh, it's better to use yours. You, yeah. From this podcast, you got it. That it's awesome tool. Very valuable. I'm using this tool. My team is using all the time. So I know about value of this tool uh, and guys listen us on apple google spotify and see you next time thanks for listening to this entire podcast please rank your experience in apple spotify google or any other platforms that you may use also please share your ranking mark on chat at seotools.tv to get a special gift we'll see you soon on other valuable audio podcasts